This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Great to be together once on a Sunday. Great to be together at 11.15 on a Sunday. Um, I don't ever experience this. Never have I experienced the 11.15 only service. But word to the 9 a.m. people, what are you doing? Uh, why we can't get people to come at 11.15, I have no idea. I'm happy to come at 11.15. And uh, there wouldn't be a sermon at 9, but... Uh, no, seriously, uh, if you like this, we, there's always plenty of room in the second service on Sunday morning, so we would love to have you if you'd like to make a shift at all. Happy New Year to you, and uh, very excited about this new year as a church. Today I'm going to preach a message that's not part of a series. If you'll remember, before Christmas, we finished John, and uh, the next series we're going to do is answering uh, a series on answering the question we're asked about more than any other in the new members class. This question, it's not even close. The question we are asked about more than any other in the new members class, we're going to answer in 2012. So the church is about six years old, so it might be a good time to start answering the most frequently asked questions. And the most frequently asked question is simply this, what do you believe about spiritual gifts? So we're going to teach about spiritual gifts, and by God's grace uh, and by his spirit, practice spiritual gifts um, led and empowered by his spirit in a fresh way in 2012. So we're going to drop in and teach through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and I'll do some background material prior to that. But that's our next series. Today, however, I want to preach from Revelation 21. Revelation 21. thought it would be a great Sunday to talk about the end of the world. For Christmas, somebody gave me a uh, Mayan wall calendar, and uh, so if I'm not going to preach about the end of the world in 2012, I may not get another shot. Um, that's a joke, but I don't believe any of that. I, I think we'll be here next year, Lord willing. But uh, anyway, I thought with all of the 2012 talk and all of what's in front of us on New Year's Day, that it'd be a great time to talk about how it all ends. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. 
The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this vision of eternity that you grant us, and we pray that you would speak to us through this passage today, reveal the Savior to us in a new and a fresh and a glorious way. We pray, Lord, speak to us, for we desire to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Some people would say, like right now, today, in the next few days is the most wonderful time of the year. I know that song goes with Christmas, but a lot of folks would say this is the most wonderful time of the year because everything is new, is it not? I mean, so people are here today, New Year's resolution, I'm going to church this year, Uh, every Sunday, here I am, and uh, so everything is new, everything is fresh, everything is clean, life has a new car smell right now, that scent of something that is brand new, that we we stand like on the brink of endless possibilities, because we have a new year, we have a fresh slate, we have a, uh, a new possibility, a new opportunity. New Year's Day, I think, today in particular is popular because of what it holds forth. It holds forth this tremendous hope. A couple days ago, I was on, I was on iTunes, and on the banner that flashes up at the top, uh, this this banner flashed up that said "New Year, New You," and uh, so I bit, I took the bait, and clicked on it, and there were four large sections of apps for like an iPhone, iTouch, iPad, i whatever, and on there they had them all categorized. The first was new body. And then new mind, and then new money, and then new time. And so under each of these, they had apps so that you could basically have a new life. That's what they're advertising, new new year, new you. And so they had exercise apps on there. They had time management apps. They had budgeting apps. Um, They had, you know, things to develop your thinking. And so really, with just a little piece of technology, you can have a new you in 2012 if you download. Most of them are free. If you just download these apps, uh, life can be different. We love new. We just love new. And if you ever wonder, why do we love new? Why do we love clean slate, fresh start, new beginning, turning over a new leaf? Why do we love that? I think because it is placed in our souls from God. There is something in the human heart that longs for new. And I think that is what God has put in us. And today, and all the new you, new year, new app, all that, all that lies before us is just a shadow of what is to come. The glory of a new year, the glory of a fresh start is just a shadow of the ultimate new. The ultimate New. I'm going to skip right past 2012, right past 2013, and go straight to the real new. The excitement, the freshness, the longing that you feel in your soul today. I want to go to the reality and not the shadow. Because the reality is in eternity. 
The reality is found in verse 4. I'm sorry, in verse 3, where John hears a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Down a little further, what is looking for, verse 5. Behold, I am making all things new. My hunch is that most of us don't think a lot about that day when everything will be made new. My hunch is that most of us settle for the glory of a, of a lesser new, of the new of losing a few pounds, of the new of getting on a budget, on the new of starting a disciplined Bible reading plan, on the new of beginning a new exercise routine. All of those are fine. Nothing wrong with any of those. But it's the ultimate new that I think God holds out for us as our hope. Our great hope is not money in the bank and a skinny body and eating right and reading the Bible every day for the next year. That's not the ultimate new. The ultimate new comes when God says from the throne, Behold, I am making all things new. In a nutshell, that is a summary statement of heaven. I'm making all things new. That is heaven. That's the definition of heaven. Everything will be made new. And the promise of that day is to direct our lives this day. So yes, lose some weight, balance your budget, read your Bible. By all means, eat right. By all means, for the glory of God. But allow that ultimate new to come into your now And allow that new to direct our lives today. It is the coming hope of dwelling with God personally that is to direct our lives in 2012. And so I want to look at what this passage talks about. We'll get through as much as we can about uh, about a new environment, about a new relationship with God, and about a new life that God offers from the passage we just looked at. So let's walk through this verse by verse. Verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea is no more. Now, we're not teaching the whole book of Revelation, but we must answer this one thing that's brought up in this verse. What, What does he mean that the first earth had passed away? Well, John saw this in a vision in the previous chapter. If you just back up to verse 11 from chapter 20, this is the the judgment, and this is how the future judgment is described, verse 11, chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. So now John is saying everything flew away from God, And verse 1 of chapter 21, and I saw a new heaven, and I saw a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away. We have no category for this. I mean, there's, there's no special effects in a movie that can describe the earth fleeing from God. I mean, here's the picture. God is so holy that when he sits on the throne to judge, the earth and the sky flee away from him. There's no place for them is what the scripture teaches right here. We just can't even imagine that. I mean, take the most tremendous um, weather effect that you can imagine. I mean, a tornado, a hurricane, an earthquake. They don't register to everything running from God as fast as they can and being destroyed. An atomic explosion, that's a whisper. 
compared to this. That they flee away from God, for there is no place for them. Verse 21, and in their place he sees a new, I'm sorry, verse 1, he sees a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now that's interesting. The earth is gone and so is the sea. You thought the sea was a subset of the earth, I did as well, but it's gone as well. Because the sea represents, in the book of Revelation and throughout, uh, it represents what's uncontrollable. The sea is daunting. The sea is a place where storms come up and people drown, and, 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 and the sea is unmanageable to the people of this time. I mean, you look at it, the sea seems endless. And so the sea, the overcoming, overpowering sea is gone. The sea symbolizes evil as well. Earlier in the book of Revelation, the beast comes from the sea. And so this controlling sea, this evil sea is gone, and John sees a new heaven and a new earth. Now, it doesn't tell us a lot about this new heaven and new earth. There's going to be some detail in the rest of 21, which we won't look at, and some in 22. The main thing to get out of it is that it's new. That's what we're really told. I, mean, I think there's a couple of reasons we don't get a lot of detail. First of all, we couldn't fathom it. We don't have real categories. That's why this book is symbolic in nature. We don't have real categories to literally understand and fathom what heaven will be like. It's beyond our comprehension. So we just are told that it's new. And secondly, the passage doesn't really detail the environment of heaven because that's really not the purpose when we see heaven talked about in the book of Revelation or elsewhere in the Bible. The purpose is not to describe the environment uh, of, of heaven. Ultimately, we're talking about a new environment here. That's the point. But it doesn't describe the details of a new environment. That's usually not the emphasis. We like to think about what will it look like, where will it be, how big will it be, how will we move around and get from point A to point B, um, will we relate with one another, will we remember earth? Those are all interesting questions. But that's not really the emphasis in the Bible. We're told that it's new, and the emphasis of this new environment is not what it looks like, but who's there. The emphasis of Scripture, when we talk about heaven, is that God is present in all his glory. That's what we mainly need to know about heaven, is that God is there in all of his glory. The next thing John sees is the new Jerusalem. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So, the new Jerusalem. There's a new heaven and the new earth. And then he sees this. Coming out of heaven, so presumably he's saying something like coming from the sky down. I mean, I don't know for sure, but, but that's what it sounds like. So he sees from the sky the new Jerusalem coming down. What, what is he talking about, the new Jerusalem? Well, again, we're not doing a full study of uh, the book of Revelation. But the book of Revelation, like some other books of the Bible, are what's called apocalyptic literature. And they're written symbolically. Most of it is not to be interpreted literally, but symbolically. If we just go straight literal, a lot of strange things come out. People with barcodes on their foreheads and stuff like this. It's not a literal book to be interpreted uh, literally. It is a genre of literature that uses symbol to communicate reality. And that's what's going on here. He's not saying that heaven is literally ancient Jerusalem. That when you get to heaven, it will be ancient Jerusalem that was what you'll see. That's not what he's saying. Jerusalem signifies something in the scripture. 
It signifies the heart of redemption. It is the place where God dwells with his people. Jerusalem represents the place where God and his people are together. The temple is in Jerusalem. The presence of God is in the Holy of Holies. And so this new Jerusalem represents the place where God and his people are together. And actually, this environment is speaking primarily about the people of God. Look what he says. I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And what does he tell us about Jerusalem? It's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What's the bride in Scripture? That's the church. He goes on to say that in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. That's the church. Come, I'll show you the church, the people of God. Verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Okay, so he's saying, I'm going to show you the bride of God, the, the bride, the people of God. That's the, the holy city, Jerusalem. So in this environment, this new environment, what we learn is that the people of God are present in this new environment. The new heaven and the new earth meet. The new Jerusalem comes down, and that is the people of God joined with him for eternity. That's what we find out about the environment of heaven here. One day God will make everything new. And the promise of that day is to direct our lives this day. And what he does next is to prescribe a new relationship. A new relationship. So there's a new environment, the new heaven, the new earth, the oldest passed away, the city of Jerusalem, the people of God with God. The next thing he tells us here is that there's a new relationship. In the book of Revelation, God is typically silent. Most of the talking that happens in the book of Revelation is as angels or various heavenly creatures speaking. But in verse 3, something different happens. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is God, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He is announcing something. God is announcing something from a loud voice, with a loud voice from the throne. And what is he wanting us to get from this? Well, in verse 3, when we read that, what he says is he repeats something. There's an emphasis in this verse that he is repeating. When we interpret the scripture, one of the ways that emphasis is given throughout the scripture is things are repeated. And here, look what is repeated in verse 3. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. God himself will be with them as their God. This is the big idea of heaven, that God will be with us. This is everything new. We will encounter, we will interact, we will see, we will experience God directly. This is the longing of heaven. This is the hope. In an unbroken and a direct manner, we will see God face to face, and there will be no barrier, no barrier. There will be no barrier of our sin separating us from seeing, knowing, and experiencing God in any way. We will have unbroken fellowship, worship, encounter with God himself. And it will be eternal and unending. This is what's totally new. 
This is what so he's making all things new. This is a new way of relating with God. N- not new in essence, because we relate directly with God through his word and by the spirit today. But there is still, we don't r- relate by sight. And still today we relate uh, at a distance in, of sort because of our sin, because of our humanity, because of our flesh. We don't see God face to face here today. And that's all going to change. And that will change the character of our relationship. Not the essence, but it will change the, the, the character of our relationship. So we'll see God face to face. That is going to be new and different. There are times, there are times when I've had extraordinary worship experiences, um, gathering with the people of God, gathering with you guys and other situations in my life over the history of my life, where I've sensed God presence in an un- unusual way. And I thought, I wish this didn't have to end. I wish this didn't have to end. But at some point, the meeting ends. They unplug the guitars, and the guy drops his drumsticks, and the preacher says, amen, you're dismissed. But there's coming a day where experiencing the presence of God will have no end. No one will be tired of standing. Nobody will have to go pick up their kids because they need a nap. (laughs) No one will need to have to leave themselves because they need a nap. No one will be have a short attention span. There's no short attention spans in heaven. No one is distracted, losing focus in heaven because the glory of God emanating the light emanating from God, the righteousness, the holiness, the character, the love, the grace, the person of God is so glorious that everyone is, everyone is overwhelmed by the goodness, the glory, the wonder of God. And no meeting comes to an end. No Bible reading time comes to an end. No prayer time. Wherever you've encountered God in a meaningful way, that doesn't end. It's exponentially greater And it's eternal. It's a new experience of relating with God. See, what's happening here where he says, I will dwell with them. They will be, uh, and he will be with his people. God himself will be with them. This whole description, this is the whole hope of man. This is the whole plan of redemption. This is the reason we are redeemed so that we, men and women, boys and girls, people, we can be restored, reconciled to God himself personally. It's this moment. It's not a Sunday religious duty that we're about here. It's not about just keeping a list of rules that we're about here. The purpose of Christianity is this moment, that God will make all things new and that God and his people will be together, dwelling together, personally together. This is what it's all heading toward. This is what it's all about. This is the goal. This is the climax. This is the reason for all this stuff that we're doing. It's all about this, heading to the place where we see and experience and know God in a glorious way. That's what it's all about. That's the goal of our salvation. That's why Jesus dies, so that, and that's why he's risen, so that God and man may be brought together. The Bible teaches that God sent Jesus not to die to just get us to heaven, but to get us to God. 
That's what the Bible teaches. First Peter 3 says this, Christ suffered once for the sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus dies, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. This is the goal of salvation. It's not just having your sins forgiven. The goal is not just having your sins forgiven. Having your sins forgiven is a means to an end. The end is being with God face to face and not being disintegrated in his holiness. The goal is that we can enjoy God and not like earth and sky flee from his presence, not be condemned to judgment in hell, but to be in his presence. Our sins are removed so that we can enjoy God. We receive resurrected bodies so that we can experience his glory and be in his presence. Jesus dies to bring us to God. What a glorious thought. This is when he makes all things new, new, and there's not an app for that. There's not an app for this new. It's beyond what we can imagine, but God throws it out there, so to speak, grants the vision, puts it in the scripture, lays it before us to envision us for what lies ahead the real new you is you experience God in a new way. So we're in a new environment. There's a new relationship that is direct relationship with God. And we're also experience a new life. Now we have new life now. We already have new life, but we don't yet have new life as it will be. This isn't to deny that God's not making things new right now. He is. This is just the ultimate new. In this new, existence will be uh, characterized by a complete absence of everything from the fall. All the results of the fall will be gone at this point as we encounter God. Now, what I love about this is what God says and what God does. God doesn't speak uh, verbally that much in Revelation. Mostly when things are said, they're said by angels. And here's a second point. When God brings judgment in the book of Revelation, he does that through intermediaries. But when he encounters his people, he does it directly and personally. So he says he will be with us. And look at verse 4. What's the first thing he does? Please note this. The first thing God does when we are with him, verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. God, the compassionate, caring God, is putting an absolute end to suffering. And the first thing he's doing is he's wiping the tears from his children's eyes. God is a God of compassion. And we see this in his first act when his people are brought together with him. This would have been very edifying. That means to build up, very strengthening, empowering for the first readers. The first readers of the book of Revelation were the churches that are mentioned at the beginning the seven churches that he writes to. It's a letter written to them. It's not just a mystery letter to be written now. Um, It's not just to be read with the newspaper in one hand and the book of Revelation in the other. It's a pastoral letter 
It's apocalyptic literature, but it's a pastoral letter written to people that were suffering tremendously. They had been persecuted for their faith in the first century. Uh, They had had their goods. Many of them had their goods taken away from them, rejected by their families. Some may have even been killed, so were likely martyrs and the threat of further martyrdom in front of them. And so God writes this letter to these churches saying, look, here's how it's all going to end up. And here's what he says to them. I'm going to declare you're with me, and the first thing I'm going to do is wipe the tears from your eyes. That would be very meaningful to people who are suffering and enduring persecution to know that when we see God, this is what God will do. And there are many in our midst today that have shed tears as well. I mean, there are many in our midst that are suffering and have suffered. Some folks in our church 2011 was a year where maybe you suffered more than you have in the past. There'd be some folks who are ready to turn over a new leaf and start a new year because 2011 was your worst year. In a group this size, for sure, for someone, this was your worst year. And the promise that God holds to you and to me is the same one he does there, that there's coming a day when we will see God and he will wipe the tears from our eyes, tears of grief, Some of us have experienced grief because you've lost someone that you love. My wife and I were having breakfast with somebody this week, a couple that we don't know well. And so we're having breakfast with them, and we're getting to know about their families and what they do at Christmas. And and, um, so the gentleman we were eating with was a couple, married couple. And so the gentleman just showed, yeah, this year my mom died. And so this was a different Christmas for us, first Christmas without mom present. Some of you may have experienced that. So that's a grief of losing someone. God's going to wipe the tears of loss. God's going to wipe the tears of disappointment. Some of us in the room are disappointed. There are folks in the room who thought, okay, by the end of 2011, I thought I'd be married. By the end of 2011, I thought I'd have a child. By the end of 2011, I thought I'd be in a different job. By the end of 2011, I thought our finances would not be at a perilous place like they are. At the end of 2011, I assumed my body would be doing a lot better, but it's doing worse. At the end of 2011, I'd ha- I thought this relationship would be reunited, but it's still fractured. And so we all experience these kinds of difficulties, but there's coming a day when G- God will wipe every tear from his people's eyes. There'll be no more crying, he says. There should be no more mourning. I'm sorry, let me back up. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes, verse 4. Death will be no more. There'll be no more dying, no more end. Neither shall there be mourning. There'll be no more crying, so he'll wipe their tears and there'll be no future crying. There'll be no pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Do you see what do you see what God is doing here the way he's revealing heaven? Again, he's not giving us all the details of heaven. Here's what I think's really happening. What's being communicated is that heaven is inconceivable, fully, fully. We can't we cannot conceive of heaven fully. It's it's existence and it's an encounter with God that's completely different than what we're currently experiencing. And so the way it's described to us is a is by saying, here's all the stuff that won't be there that you know and hate now, like death and mourning and crying and pain. That stuff, it won't 
be there. See, we don't have points of reference to fully understand what's happening. So this is how he describes it. It's sort of like this. If you were to meet someone, if you were to travel to the North Pole, and you were to meet someone who had lived their entire lives in the frozen environment of the North Pole. They had never seen a picture, never been on the Internet, never read a book. They just lived there. That's all they knew. And you wanted to describe Hawaii to them. What would, how would you do that? Well, there's sand there. Okay. What would sand? Well, you know, there's palm trees there. Uh, what's palm trees? They would have no category. So what you would do is you would say, I want to tell you about a place where there's no ice. I'll tell you about a place where there's no snow. No snow, no coats. You never wear a coat. You never walk outside and get a runny nose. You never get a gross frozen runny nose. Okay. Your skin never gets cold and dried out in the freezing. You can never see your breath. There is just no cold. No ice. This is what Hawaii is like. Can you imagine it? No, I can't imagine it. That's what he's doing. Can you imagine a place where there's no crying? No death. No sorrow. No pain. Every second of every day for eternity is not only pain-free, it's gloriously pleasurable in the presence of God. That's what he's describing to us. And here's this summary, kind of categorical statement at the end. No pain, no mourning, no crying. The former things have passed away. All the former stuff that's a result of the fall is gone. That is new. That is new. We could add to that. When he says former things that have passed away, we could add to that and say no aging That's what he's talking about. No sickness, no accidents, no hunger, no starvation, no abuse, no injustice, no loneliness, no one offending you ever, and you offending no one ever, no discouragement. No depression, no rejection, no persecution, no strife, no slander, no arguing, no hatred, no division, no divorce, no pride, no anger. No addiction, no abandonment, no deception, on and on and on. None of that. That's what we know every day. That's the stuff all around us. That's the stuff of our experience. This is your best life what we're reading about right now. It's your best life then. That's what we're reading about. This is what we were created for, and this is what is coming, and this is what will happen when God makes all things new. I'm going to wrap up. Just a couple comments. I I at least read the next few verses. We're not going to cover everything we read. But verse 5, 
He says, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. That's wonderful. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. He's saying that, write this down, this is for sure. This is a done deal. It is done, he says. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's like saying the A and the Z. It's the first and last last letters. So I'm the Alpha, Genesis 1-1 created it all. I'm the Omega, the end. Here's how it's coming to an end. And I will do all of this. It's trustworthy. It's sure. It's complete because he is sovereign to accomplish his purposes for his people. And it will all be accomplished by grace. Sometimes I'm not against New Year's resolutions. I'm not against growing and maturing and developing in body, soul, spirit, in every way. Um, I'm all for that. But a lot of times we come to the first of the year and it's all about what I'm going to do. And in things like sanctification, it is our response with God for sure. We are participants. I don't deny that. But oftentimes it's very much about us and what we're going to do. And what is so clear here is that this is what God has done. No man's accomplishing any of this stuff. This is all God. And lest we miss the point, this is what he says. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of uh, the spring of the water of life without payment. You can't earn this. You can't deserve this. You can't buy this. You can't merit this. You can't be the new you so that you deserve this. This is something that God's going to give a spring of water. Again, it's a picture, a spring of water that is his, that we don't even know about on our own, that he's going to allow us to drink from without payment. It's a statement of grace. He's saying, I'm doing all of this for free. I'm doing all of this motivated by love and mercy for you. He's doing this because he loves you, because he's merciful, because he cares for us, because he's gracious, because he wants his grace magnified and on display. Heaven's not a a place. It's not an environment. It's not an existence. It's not a life. It's not a reality where anyone's looking around and saying, yeah, I'm glad I did what I did because I earned this. This isn't like the retirement plan that's a result of someone who started saving early in their career and now they've got something to show for it. This is all grace, all mercy, all love, all the goodness of God without payment from us, but with the greatest payment imaginable from God. For Jesus did earn this for us. Jesus did pay for this for us. By his own blood. Jesus died for our sins in our place. He was buried and rose on the third day and is seated at the right hand of God in victory. And Jesus did what he did so that we would be brought to God, so that our tears would be wiped, our former things would all pass away, and the glorious new would be ours forever. Jesus did this at the greatest cost imaginable, the cost of him suffering and dying in our place and paying the price for our sins. So what in the world does this have to do with New Year and New Year resolutions? Well, it's just looking ahead 
to say it is a vision of the future, the ultimate new that is to inform the temporal new that begins with the turn of a page of a calendar today. It gives us, first of all, perseverance in suffering. A vision for eternity like this is meant to grant us endurance in our suffering. It it grants us endurance for a number of reasons. One is it gives an expectation and helps us to see, you know, it's just a little while longer. This isn't to minimize anyone's suffering in the room because there are people, many people I'm sure, suffering far greater than I am today. So I'm not trying to be um, uncaring or dismissive of your pain. But whatever the pain is in this life, and no matter how severe, and that that is real, there are real, real, real pain at every level, emotional, physical, um, suffering at every level. But it's very short-lived compared to the long tomorrow. And there's a certain sense of strength that comes in enduring when we can see what's at the finish line, when we can see what's right ahead of us. You know, a, a, a bad illustration or a weak illustration might be if you have a big project, but you know at the end of it you've got time off work, you've got a great vacation or something like that. And so you press in, you know, for the, you, you've got faith, I can endure this because at the end, or some of you are students, you just took finals. And like finals week is like, oh, this is terrible, I can't stand this. And, and maybe you had other things on top of that, you were sick, you were busy, whatever it was. Oh, I, I can't stand this, but there's about to be a one-month break. As soon as I, if I can just get past these finals, whew, I'll breathe a sigh really for a month. That doesn't even compare But you get the idea. We can persevere and press through in this life knowing that God is with us. God is strengthening us. God is preparing a place for us. And it's very short-lived. And the long tomorrow is glorious. It is glorious. Gives grants us strength in our suffering. Grants us hope. It shows us the character of God. In our suffering, sometimes we can question what is God really like. The people in Revelation could. God, you say you're good. The Bible says you're good. I mean, I know you're good, but my experience sometimes causes me to question. I don't understand how a good God is allowing these things to happen in my life. We can have those thoughts, honestly. A passage like this shows us this is the ultimate goodness of God. God will redeem, reverse, restore all suffering and all sin for a glorious eternity that's described here in his presence. So it adjusts our view of God. It strengthens us in our suffering. It causes us to look to a glorious future. And maybe you're not in a place of real suffering today, but the passage like this, a view of God making everything new gives us a new perspective in all things. This is what we were created for. And so if this is what we were created for, this should affect how I live today. This day should affect today. That day, rather, I guess we should say. That day, Revelation 21, should affect this day. How should I live? What should I give my time to? See, it's a filter. It's a filter that we run things through, and a lot of stuff gets coughed caught in the filter and doesn't make it through. But this is a filter. What should I, how should I invest my relationships? How should I invest my finances? How should I invest my time? How should I invest my life? What should I be giving myself to knowing that this is the long tomorrow and it's coming soon? Life is short. Eternity is long and it's coming Quickly, This is how the psalmist said it in chapter, uh, Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days, 
that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What he's saying is if you see the brevity of life, then it will help us to make better choices of what we do with our lives and how we live our lives, glorifying him through our work and our daily activities and our family and our church and and our hobbies and our health and everything. Glorifying God, because this is reality. This can seem so distant to us, but it is reality and it is coming quickly. God is going to make everything new. Everything new. And so may we live this day in light of that day. And if you've never met God, if you've never met Christ, if you've never received Jesus as your Savior to forgive your sins, then what I just described will not be your experience. Your experience will not be God wiping away every tear. That's that's not what the passage teaches. Um, rather, there is a judgment for those who do not believe in Christ. They experience a second death, is what he goes on to say, a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, verse 8, which we read earlier. So those who reject Christ experience eternal suffering. Those who receive this gracious gift of what he's done for us receive eternal life. Life like we've never known, new life. And the way you receive that is it's a gift, just like we said. You just realize my sins have separated me from God, and I deserve his judgment. But Jesus died in my place and rose in my place, so I believe in him. I trust his death and his sacrifice to forgive my sins. And then we have the sure promise that when we see him, we will not stand before a throne of judgment being cast into eternal suffering. We will stand before a throne, well, a throne of judgment, but a throne of judgment having Christ having paid the judgment for us so that God will be wiping every tear from our eyes and welcoming us into the this glorious new experience, new relationship, new life in Christ. It's the new you that you really want, trust me. It's the new you from God for eternity. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.